Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. the signs that the self is absent, the traumatized self is one can see beauty and is in awe of it. So I was feeling some pain in my body and I decided to go out for a walk and then I looked down from the cliff and the water, it looks so magical, I just want to get in. Pretty cold though. And I feel like I could just stay here all day and watch the water flow. It's so changing and new. And then I was watching these barnacles. I've never seen the big barnacles that have these big things sticking out. They look really ancient and they're combing the sea. So I took some video of this beautiful spot. Maybe I will try and get in the ocean one day when it's not windy. Maybe the cold will be good for my body that. I'm laying kind of upside down on a rock. Water's back there. Feels good. The beauty is immense. friends. I wrote down something before I went out for a walk. I wrote down that the answer isn't in detaching from those one is attached to, but in loving everyone as much as one would if one did unconditionally love those one was attached to through life circumstances. I don't know if that's true. There are no words. Why is it that sometimes one could watch the ocean for hours with not a single thought and then other times one cannot stand another single second of this existence because of the pain of the self of continuance 
of trauma. noise. There's an infinite beauty, an infinite stillness that one is able to tap into sometimes. But one of the keys is that we need to forget. We can't wish for these moments, as beautiful as they are, to continue. Because that is the movement of accumulation. The movement of accumulation of memory, which is painful. I wonder if the manifestation of a mood disorder is the trouble with s switching from operating in a quantum-based possibility way to operating in a Newtonian way. And having to shift between the two and not knowing how to communicate that.
ocean is so smooth right now. So beautiful. And the word beauty does not sum up all of this. It's a way to communicate, but this is not the word. I've taken some notes down lately that I could talk about, but I've lost my process of being able to talk about insights since I really haven't had my own space. But I think I might want to try to carve out that space again at some point. Because I've been talking a little bit on a group online and people are making comments that I'm channeling, I'm speaking for millions of people, they want to make notes on what I'm saying, what I'm saying is genius. I'm channeling some kind of wisdom. So I have all these videos that I haven't shared, but in this group I'm sort of sharing like I would on a video. And the feedback is good. Not that I'm, it's not the intention of that group to have feedback on what I'm saying, but people are giving me good feedback. So it's a sign that maybe it would be helpful to people, but I'm still in the process of trying to figure this out, trying to figure out how to contain these states of fear and anger that they want to be acted out and they want to cause trauma and perpetuate trauma and cause chaos. Because it's really intense. And it's not congruent with the moment. So if I'm here on the beach and I have this intense pain and anguish psychologically that is not congruent with standing on a beach so it's not something only from this moment now because if it was then one would be feeling beautiful and beautifully because this is pure beauty So something in the body isn't congruent with the moment now. And that's the thing is that we're, I don't think we're linear entities. I don't think we're consistent or um, anything like that. So I was thinking about how the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is the manual for those who cannot be consistent linear personalities. And nobody is. People are able to be consistent in their work environment, be consistent in, in their public life, but at home they could be um, eating tons of ice cream or crying or or whatever. So even the people that are maybe not labeled in the DSM, they could be if they showed their discontinuity in public. And I think that's part of the trouble is that when we get diagnosed 
people are aware of our discontinuity and it makes them uncomfortable because then they don't know how to deal with us. So in the process of getting to know each other, we try to figure each other out so then we're comfortable. We know how to act around that person, who they are, their characteristics, and then we can sort of plot out appropriate strategies to be. Whereas if somebody is labeled bipolar, they're really inconsistent. Another person has to be really open and fluid to be able to respond to that person. But since people aren't comfortable doing that, they'd rather call that person bipolar and then medicate them when they're not acting as they're known to be. And who is the biggest storehouse of knowing how that person is supposed to be, how they were, is often the family. This is not how they were, and now they're different, so they must be ill. Well, no, they're different. We can change, and we think that we're supposed to have this personality, but we don't have a personality. How we manifest is dependent on the situation and how we're situated and the energies we're picking up on and we're picking up on the wholeness of the situation so we might bring into attention characteristics in the field but we manifest that as human behavior and we're not sure how to communicate that we're not sure how to communicate the more that we see and if we did communicate it people would wonder how we knew that because it's not something from our memory, but it's something from direct perception. But that's not how people operate. People operate based on theory of mind and guessing what's going on in the mind of the other. And with bipolar, you can't guess what's going on in their mind. Because they've entered often into a state of consciousness where they are the whole total mind. And so they are operating based on that a lot of the time. But then we ourselves get into a trap in that we think that it is attributed to a self. Some of these more magical qualities, but it's not. So building of a self with that energy is a mistake. And one of the ways to not build a self is to forget everything. Because it's memory it's the accumulation of memory that builds a self. So it's important to forget. I think that's going to be one of the next great things is the art of forgetting. And yeah, I wrote a lot of other stuff down to talk about, but I do feel like a lot of it is repetition to what I've already said in many different ways but it could be valuable to open up the dialogue again because dialogue is valuable the process of dialogue the brain being in dialogue and my videos more recently have been dialogue about the self the personal self and that could be a distraction and I think it's a necessary phase to, to know how to deal with the personal self and its manifestations. But I've had thoughts again of going out and sort of wandering and being an agent of synchronicity. 
because if one doesn't do that, then one synchronizes with the traumatic field and sort of acts out of that traumatic energy as a way to possibly communicate that there's something wrong in general with the structure of how we relate. But then we get pathologized because we don't know how to communicate that. When the trouble is this type of thing, like synchronicity isn't verbal. It's mostly nonverbal. So something of synchronicity would be uh, like leaving something somewhere for someone else to find. And knowing that one is profoundly changing the course of humanity through doing that anonymously or what have you. Someone here told me an interesting story. They said that they really wanted green tea. And then there was green tea in a room. And then that person asked the other person, how did that green tea get there? And they said, oh, it was on this cart. And so they brought it into the office. So that person manifested green tea. And the green tea was in German. And this person is German. So they manifested German green tea probably like the day they wanted it, even though it was on its way before this person knew that they wanted this green tea. So, so what we need is on our way to us in a, in a non-linear magical way. Like the linear way would be, I need to order that online or I need to go out and get it. But, um, someone put that there and didn't really know why there's no reason why so moving beyond causality there's a lot to this and a lot of people have said a lot of things about it over the years for sure in terms of spirituality and so many things but I feel that a lot of that helps people that are linear, but what about the people that are non-linear and then get stuck in these traumatic fields of energy and are unable to get out? And they keep reenacting this trauma in the form of maybe fear or anger responses, but it's not them. They're super sensitive and they're picking up on this. And the fact that there are human beings in that state should indicate the fault of the design of society. If society is designed so not everyone can be f have food, clothing, and shelter, then there's obviously a, a flaw in the design. But we don't see it that way. So we don't see people in those states of consciousness as a disease in society. But I'm sure I've said that in so many different ways and I don't need to keep saying it per se but maybe I do I don't know I, I'm i finding that my memory if I, I don't really have memory so well so I don't know what to do I can only sort of speak to myself not from memory and try not to remember what I even said before because I can't and I've written some stuff down on a sheet of paper to do when I go home and it feels like, will I even remember where that sheet of paper is? 
It's all so confusing. And that fear reaction I had the other night, I think I talked about it. I still feel some energy in my heart, and I don't know if it's all completely over, but that fear energy is definitely a lot of energy. I don't know if I have to call it fear, and if it is fear, I don't know if one needs to be afraid of the fear. It's a state of fear being induced, and if I just lay there and I don't act out of the fear, then the fear wasn't transformed into human muscular movements of acting it out. Meaning, if I'm afraid, maybe I start running. If I start running for no reason, I'm eventually going to be chased down and apprehended because I'm running for no reason. Unless I'm Forrest Gump, then I could say I just felt like running. But if I'm in the state of fear, then that probably will happen where one would get captured and I don't even know what I was saying I forget so not dividing oneself from the fear but being that state of fear and allowing that fear to I almost feel like it's creating more energy in the body in a way like it's a lot of energy and if one doesn't dissipate the energy by running or, or doing something fearful then maybe one gains that energy like for example if I have a lot of fear and then I try to end my life well I end up in a lower energy state where I'm probably in the hospital and they're trying to revive me or detox me or something and then that is a worse environment to try to get out of so if I'm able to be with that fear as the state of fear, not separating myself as the one who's afraid of the fear, there's no separation, then it's energy. It can be energy undifferentiated by labeling it anything in particular. And I'm not sure how much, how long I can go on like this or if it will accumulate and I'll feel like I can't take it anymore. But we'll see. Because this kind of feels like last year in the beginning of October when I started to feel that pain. And I was trying to be with the pain. And then it got too intense and I couldn't be with the pain. And I ended up taking antipsychotics. But now I'm taking the antipsychotics daily. And the pain's still there. It's not preventing it from happening. Um, it's still happening kind of the same way. So, if this passes, it could be good to try not to take the antipsychotics for a while and then save them for when it starts happening again. But maybe it lessens the intensity at this point in time. I don't know. I really don't know. And... I'm just wondering if I can approach each moment as love no matter what is going on inside and not make the moment about myself. I find that I'm able to do that here. When I see people I feel really smiley and it doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like, oh, when I'm in my room by myself, I'm feeling this pain and a bit of fear and maybe anxiety. It's sort of when I'm with others, it just goes away and I feel naturally smiley and vibrant. So there could be something to sharing at some point because uh, I might feel kind of isolated with this, but I'm not if I was to start sharing in ways that I feel comfortable with and Or maybe comfort is the wrong approach. Maybe, I was also thinking this energy of not being comfortable could be keeping me really alert to the moment. Because I want to go back to being comfortable. But maybe there is no comfort. And that's something I've kind of learned because I feel throughout my life the way I was raised, I wasn't really comforted very much. And maybe that wasn't wrong because even now I don't know I don't know if getting help is the right approach or if that strengthens the self. Or it could be that getting help helps to keep the self linear. Like having that dialogue helps me to keep me as myself and that might be important for a period of time longer. I think at some point one needs to let go of it all and let things happen. But I think that's next year. But we'll see. I don't know. Because sometimes I don't even think I'll survive until next year. My job is to keep myself alive so I know what my job is. But I think part of it is learning not to propagate the fear and the anger. I think part of the thing is I feel like people know what's going on because I have a sense of knowing what's going on so then I tell them. So say I'm in a fearful state or angry, I'll act fearful or angry because I feel that person knows, whereas I could hold it in. I don't have to act fearful or angry. And that's not, I don't think that's a choice. I think that's a realization that people don't necessarily understand what's going on. And that's evident in how eventually someone like me gets called bipolar because others just can't figure out what's going on with a person who is so inconsistent and up and down. But part of being inconsistent and up and down is that one is trying to say what's going on. One's trying to share what's going on with inside of oneself, which is hey, I'm not this linear, consistent personality that I thought I was. I'm states of consciousness, B, 
being played on this biological instrument like a flute. You change the note and something totally different happens. And so it's like, well, I'm an instrument of the universe and and being exposed to that that way of being is very disorientating for a long period of time. And during that period of time, there aren't understanding people around saying, oh, you're trying to reorient yourself to a different way of operating. They're saying you're ill, you're angry, you're this, and they're reacting back in the same way. So they're mirroring that state. And then if one is in a high state, everyone around is mirroring that state too. So one realizes that one needs to be more responsible. And so again, it's not a choice. It's realizing how things work. And realizing that not everybody understands how things work. And even the one that feels they're coming to some understanding of how things work can't really understand how things work. And that's part of the understanding, is understanding that we can't understand how this works. And settling into that And then trying to settle into how to be loved despite everything around one. Instead of mirroring that, mirroring the anger and the hate and the fear and being that manifest as like a calling bird, one has to deflect it all somehow. And I think that's what I need to learn next. But how do you say to somebody, I don't know who I am, I don't understand life? You know, when we are acting confused in those early days and then we get labeled, we're basically trying to say, I don't know who I am, I don't know how the world works, I thought it worked this way, seems like it's working in all these other ways, I can't tell. And then, since we're confused, we get called ill. But it could be more scary that others aren't confused. They think they understand how the world works. So it could be seeing that others are confused, but they don't see that they're confused. They don't see that they're operating based on thought, which is confusion. So then, what does one do with that? I think not speaking from thought is a start. Not speaking about oneself from memory. And then part of one feels like one doesn't want others to know this or not know anything because then there's a period of chaos and yeah, I don't know. I'm just talking and the ocean looks magically wavical.
and I'm gonna go back. And I think this video is a good indicator that my brain is working better after three days of loss of executive functioning and no energy where I watched a lot of Netflix, the show Touch, and I watched a movie called Being There, which was an older one. I rented it on iTunes and it was interesting and it was sort of a clue in how nothing's going on in that guy's head but they're interpreting everything he says and sort of adding to it and he doesn't even know and it doesn't matter he still is able to function in that world and I think that's sort of how one needs to learn to operate allow people to think as they do but don't respond based on that thinking so I don't even know how I saw that deer. I was right beside it and I just stopped, turned and looked. And there it was. Life meeting life. Out of the peripheral, relaxed vision. I'm really tired today. I slept, but not that well. I tried to take a quarter of a trazodone and I felt like I was sleeping, but not really. So I got up and took the other quarter. And then I woke up at nine instead of like 12.
So I didn't get as much sleep and I definitely feel really tired. And sitting on a beach by myself and doesn't really get much better than this but I feel tired and my brain is pondering certain things like what it would be like to be homeless and sitting here Most of these rocks are smiling. I thought today was going to be a tired day. And I laid on the beach for a while and then I felt really thirsty. So I went to the store and I bought coconut water and kombucha and a bit of stuff to make a smoothie. And then I came back, got in my bathing suit to lay on the beach. And... Then I went in the water up to my legs, top of my legs, because it's really, really cold. But I was sort of trying to experience the experience of pain because sometimes I have this pain and I was feeling the pain in my legs and then I was asking myself, where is the pain? And then it sort of felt more diffuse and then eventually my legs went kind of numb and I couldn't feel it. But I was just sort of playing around with like, where is this experience of pain? And, and then it sort of went away faster, I think. And now I'm on a little trail and then I'm gonna go back and drink my kombucha and make a smoothie and Yeah, I feel like I have lots to talk about, but the thing is that I'm sort of going inwardly and like things are coming up to mind, but I'm just being inward. I'm not writing anything down and I'm not talking to myself on video because I'd have to sit there and then just say things sporadically, which I could do at some point, but it just feels like I'm processing a lot inwardly. And it's nice to know that if I'm tired, it doesn't mean I'm going to be tired all day. And maybe my body needs something. Maybe I'm dehydrated. Maybe I need a coconut water. I did go back and take another tyrosine because I felt like I could use a bit more of a boost. I can take up to 1,500 milligrams and I only took 500. So that could have helped too. And the other strange thing is, I sent a couple emails last week, or the week before, 
and last week people were trying to reply to me and it wouldn't go through. So two different people, completely different disconnected things. One said the email was sitting in their outbox and the other person said it bounced back to them. So they were trying again. So why would the email bounce back? They wrote the right email address. I think it's pointing to something to do with how things are relative, there are multiple layers to reality. In a way, I don't exist. That sounds crazy, but I don't exist as a person. And it's sort of hard to make me manifest as a person. And so sometimes I sort of go into the unknown, the unmanifest, and literally technology has to wait for me to be sort of reconnected because I exist in discontinuity. So I can go in and out of time, whereas others, so the emails have to wait till I'm sort of back in time to send out to me. And it's like a technological glitch to others, but to me, <laughs> it's a clue of how this all works and it's really messed up. So, I think on this trip I'm coming to terms with some of the things that I've always known, but I put them aside because at the time they were too frightening to accept as true. You know, things about how time isn't linear. Um, reality is quantum. Uh, and there are parallel realities. There's no such thing as death. We jump realities. We're not made of matter. <laughs> Fundamentally, we're awareness. Blah, blah. Like, all this stuff that people talk about theoretically in spiritual circles or in metaphysical circles or whatever, they are true and one can read them and sort of grasp them intellectually and be like, oh yeah, that's lovely. Things aren't linear. There's no causation, possibility, collapsing wave functions or however they want to say it. But to live that experience is something completely disorienting uh, confusing, especially in the beginning, uh, f frightening, especially in the beginning. Like if, if you think world, the world is operating one way and because you're thinking it's operating that way, it's operating that way and then all of a sudden it completely changes and your brain can't keep up quick enough learning what it needs to learn in order to operate in that way. And it also is very resistant to changing the way it's operating, especially when others aren't changing the way they're operating. So it's, it's, um, it's really challenging. And it usually just drives one crazy. You know, there are a few people that get through it and they end up being teachers or gurus or something, but most of us end up nuts. And we don't know how to function in that way. And... So, we just pretty much don't understand because we're trained not to learn how to understand 
through the education process. So, and I'm not saying I understand I don't. What I'm saying is there's no one there that can understand anything. And yeah, and people don't want to know this. That's the thing, that's the thing that first scared me when I ever came in contact with that reality. When I was aware that I was aware of it. <laughs> because I was in it for a while, but I wasn't really aware that I was in this dimension of mind where anything's possible. And, like a non-physical, yeah, a non-physical world. And, yeah, when I became aware that I was aware of it, I then became aware that others weren't aware of it and that they didn't want to be aware of it because it would drive one nuts. And then from that moment on, I started to go nuts. Because I think there's a problem with trying to tell people about it versus living it out quietly. I think this what might be happening to the homeless people too is that they're living in mind so like the reality of mind that's non-linear non-logical kind of magical so their bodies are kind of flopping around in the Newtonian world that's too windy so we can get to that world of mind physically but we do need to create a structure of society that is congruent with that mind operating through our brains. Right now, thought and a separate self is operating through our brains and the structure of how we live reflects that. So the sign of us getting closer would be there would be no homeless people there would be no rape, there would be no people taking power over others because we'd understand that it's all one mind but we think we're physically separate but we're much more than our physical appearance we're entangled with each other so I think those beings are there as a symptom of a greater disease of society and all the healing and helping professions we'd be living joyously and magically we wouldn't be needing to help each other as professionals versus the people who didn't do well in school who need the professionals so there's a real incongruence with how things are and, you know, am I here to be in a physical body?
to play a role of mental patient or am I here to say things how they are? There's people that are lucky enough to be somewhat successful enough to make themselves comfortable. Then at some point they realize it's meaningless, so they search out spirituality or something. But the people who are mentally ill, supposedly, and homeless, they've gone into that reality. The spirituality is not a concept, it's not information, it's not words, it's an actual reality. And one needs to know how to operate in that way. And one can be successful and then learn the spiritual principles and then learn to operate in that way somewhat. But some people are thrust into it and we're not taught those things. Or we're not taught how to learn fast enough to keep up with it. And so we falter. I think going inwardly is something I'm learning right now and, and not perpetuating that fearful energy that comes over me outwards. Just taking it on, being crucified by it and it's okay. Not passing it on to others. We'll see if I can do that. And another thing is that documentary on Osho on Netflix, I think it's rather f remarkable what they were able to create in a short period of time. They turned a plot of nothing land into, you know, housing and airport and a lake. There was nothing there. And they were able to do all that by working together from the ground up. And I think that scared the powers that be how that love energy really can make people cooperate and they. You know, the stuff they did is no different than governments do, or, or nations. Like, I'm being medicated, and it's said for my own good. Yeah, maybe they put people on antipsychotics, and they gave them homes. That's what they're trying to do now, is they have housing first, and they give someone homes if they'll take their medication. So, those people were ahead of their time and they housed a lot of homeless people. They did kick some out eventually, but um, I think it was pretty successful what they did for people. And it also reminds me of the swarm, how that guru was sort of the queen bee, and as soon as he was gone, they all just disbanded. Because his energy was a morphogenetic field that kept them all together. What's it? He didn't even do anything, he sat in a room. But all the love they had that was sort of directed towards him was able to create something. Just like, you know, say Christianity, their love of God and Jesus creates all of their structures and what they do. So, you know, it's it was just a microcosm of, of macrocosms of society and it provided a mirror to see that, but it was made into this horrible thing and it looks like they did do some bad stuff, but everyone does bad stuff, so who knows? I just, I'm not saying I don't really know enough to know, but I'm sure there's other sides to the story, and 
um, what they built was impressive. So it's official, I'm being transferred to my GP in order to get my meds, but I won't have mental health system support, which kind of sucks because I was hoping they'd help me find a place to live when I get back from California. Sometimes they have rent subsidies that can really help, and I won't have access to that. So I think the universe is telling me it's time to go it alone. And at the same time, I am signed up for some free counseling through community services. So it seems like I'm not having this strong support for bipolar, but now it's moving into dealing with PTSD. And last night I didn't have the greatest sleep. Last night I took a quarter trazodone and I took three quetiapine instead of two. I thought since this is usually the time when I have to up quetiapine that I could try to up it. And I didn't have the greatest sleep, like I had dreams that I remembered and it felt like I was half asleep half the night. But I did sleep I think 10 hours so I must have slept. It just felt like I didn't. When I woke up I was trying to go back to sleep but I would just sort of go into these dreams but I still felt like I was awake and my legs felt really restless maybe because I dipped them in the ocean and let them go numb yesterday so then I got up and I went for a run and I never do that I just did a bit of running up and down the street and Then after I did a bit of rollerblading up and down the street and so, I don't know, feeling the urge to be active. I don't want to say, like I've said in the past, oh I'm going to do this because I forget. Like Part of the problem with this type of brain is that one can't really form habits So because one forgets. So then as soon as one tries to think, well I'll do this every day. Next day one wakes up and forgets all about it. It's like starting from scratch every day, in a way. And then knowing generally how to take care of oneself at a certain point. Like how to shower and feed oneself. But other than that, there's no real pattern. And being okay with that. And... Yeah, so... Right now though, today I do feel a little bit better, so maybe taking a bit more quetiapine is good. Because I don't really like that body pain because 
it makes stuff it makes my body painful so I might try acupuncture when I go back we'll see it's kind of expensive but I'm thinking that I need to put more resources into this again before all this started happening like the worst part two years ago before I started talking to myself I did take care of my body really well and spent a lot of money on body therapies and things and I was working more but now not so much and I kind of had an insight that there's no self but a lot of what happens is a result of what we eat Oh no, a lot of the stuff that's gone wrong in my life is when I was drinking. So that changed consciousness and that changed what manifested in in my experience and it wasn't necessarily good. So maybe by going back to eating lots of healthy food again, that could help. Because then my body will feel good, it'll feel safe and nourished. Right now, it doesn't feel that. It feels kind of agitated. So, we'll see. We will see. I went for another walk through the forest and I got attacked by a dog. So this dog thing keeps happening and it was jumping on me and trying to bite me it didn't look like it was fully grown and it was off leash and I just said to the guy I said excuse me can you please call your dog and then he called the dog but the dog didn't come it just continued to attack me and then he was kind of a slow moving older gentleman so finally he got to the dog and then said sit and the dog listened finally after jumping on me about three or four times and trying to bite my elbow luckily I'm wearing a sweater and I think maybe because I didn't react with fear it didn't get super aggressive I think if I would have been afraid I like my heart didn't even race but I did definitely respond and say request that I didn't really want the dog attacking me and then after I said uh, you should keep your dog on a leash dogs are unpredictable and then I said just because you think it's cute doesn't mean that you know I don't know what I said but point being I don't know it's then it makes me feel like I shouldn't even go outside I checked the spire it didn't make me breathe tense or anything it wasn't, I don't know, I feel like the universe is testing me to see how I react to being attacked. Because, for example, if I wrote a book on what I'm having insight into, I probably would be attacked and maybe killed, so... Yeah, I don't know what the message is from the universe. Could be, you know, oh, dogs can smell evil. And yeah, there's definitely evil inside me. There has been.
in the past. Everyone has it. Just give the people the right situation. But I think that's the point is I'm supposed to learn how to be neutral about attack coming at me. Uh, apparently. So the dogs are helping me out with this. Because I felt pretty neutral about it. And I was walking and I was letting my mind just wander about all this consciousness stuff and crisis and consciousness and stuff that I've been writing down but not necessarily talking about. I've been writing a lot down but not talking about it. So I don't know if I'm supposed to write something but sort of pondering that stuff and I was like pondering unconditional love at that point. Like unconditional love no matter what, actually unconditional love for children and wondering if learning people learning how to absorb the conflict into emptiness. I was thinking about how the fear of fear is the problem, not necessarily fear. And the fear of fear is the self. So the self isn't necessarily that experience and consciousness of fear, but the fear of that fear is the self. And the self is that which would want to try to do something about it, to stop it and get away from it and escape. So the self is the escape from the actual phenomena. But when we get acquainted with the actual phenomena and observe it and allow it to flower and die in silence, then I think we transmute something. Because we don't allow that fear to turn into human bodily action. I was thinking about how... I was thinking about Rupert Sheldrake's concept of the morphogenetic field and how that's sort of like a pattern that would pattern us into certain behaviors. And I feel that in consciousness these patterns can come in or these crises and then we'll want to act them out. But I think that it's possible to absorb those patterns into silence and actually silence the morphogenetic field that would have us behave in habits and patterns. And then what that would turn into is the morphogenetic field would now be the epigesteretic matrix. So instead of us being patterned by these patterns and consciousness that we all share and then reacting out these dramas and traumas based on that, we move into silence, absorb that, and then speak in a dialogical way. So instead of being moved by the morphogenetic field, we're moved through the epigesteretic matrix and through our gestures of love and kindness towards the patterns that would would program us to act out things that we would rather not. Absorbing it into silence and then once it goes we have the power to move about how we want or in the epigesteretic matrix as opposed to patterned by the morphogenetic field.
So I don't know if that makes any sense, but So I think we can absorb the morphogenetic field. And that would change it. So it could be some of our jobs to absorb these patterns. And that's sort of how I've talked about learning how to be with the extreme states of consciousness that come into consciousness and not turn it into, oh, I gotta call 911 because I'm having a psychosis. That takes a lot of practice and it's not something I'm saying that everybody can do. And it's probably not something that everybody needs to do. Just some people who are able to work towards that. And I don't know if it's right either. I really don't know. Don't know what this is all about. But I was reading a couple chapters in Dr. David Hawkins' book, Healing and Recovery. I was reading the, the, the chapters on pain and suffering and also fear. And he describes this process that I've been doing and it's interesting because he talks about how if there's a certain something that arrives in, arises in consciousness, say fear, he talks about how it's the fear of fear. And that's what I've been talking about with myself. So if there's fear arising, or what we imagine is fear, not that we're imagining it, but that's what we're category, categorizing it as, if we stay with that with neutrality, on his scale of consciousness, that's the level of 200, whereas fear is 130, I think. So how we receive that which arises in consciousness is really important. And we're not that which arises in consciousness, but we're the, the witnessing presence. And that is what matters where the level of consciousness is, because that's how we'll move based on that information. So one can be in a state of fear and observe it, maybe with unconditional love. I've been able to be with it with neutrality. Maybe, I don't know what, what unconditional love would be different. And then how does one resolve this crisis in consciousness? And I think 
this is part of where the non-doing comes in because these states will arise, these fearful states, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's when we try to do something that we get into trouble. Yesterday I had that body pain and I couldn't fall asleep without taking half a Zoplicone on top of the Trazodone, half a Trazodone, and I went back down to two Seroquel and I fell asleep and I slept a long time and then today I had that body pain again and it feels like burning but since yesterday it felt kind of like menthol-y heat being released from my body and then I was inquiring into the pain and at one point I realized that it wasn't my pain it was pain which is not a personal phenomenon so by realizing it was pain I I lost some identification with it and was more curious about the experience and And it was there, and it was uncomfortable. And then I was listening to classical music today and doing some writing. I signed up for a three-month Spotify trial because I know nothing about classical music. And, and the idea of the healing power of sound is important, especially because I hear that sound all the time. And then today, all of a sudden I realized when I was listening to that music that I couldn't hear the sound, the Schumann resonance, that vibration. And then I took out my headphones and I still couldn't hear the sound and everything felt really silent. And then I realized that I could really feel my heart beating like the lub-dub, the lub-dub. It was strange because before that I've experienced my heart as not beating probably for the last year. I've experienced it more as moving in a circle. So in it moving in the circle, it's not beating because the beat is in the stationariness and the boom, boom. So that was moving me in a circle and I even recorded that at some point. And then I realized I could, I started to feel my heart beat that way yesterday. It was like I could really feel it beating, and I haven't been able to feel it beating. And then today I was feeling it beating, and I was enjoying that sensation. It was like feeling my heart beat for the first time, each time it beats. And it was very calming to be able to feel my own heartbeat. And then I realized that that started yesterday. And then I realized that I'm no longer moving in a circle. Usually I can feel it moving side to side, but I realized that I can feel the circle just a little bit up here between my eyebrows. And it's a very small circle, so it doesn't really move me in the same way, because the heartbeat is quite a large circle. 
And so it moves me from side to side, and it's quite um, strange. So then I'm wondering if my mind is sort of reintegrated with my body. And I don't know, I don't want to jump to conclusions. It feels really peaceful and calm, and the pain is gone. And that being said, I am still taking some medication, and I don't necessarily plan on tapering off of it at this moment. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, maybe it can help with the process. And plus, energy is stronger than matter, so using material meds sort of slows things down but it doesn't it doesn't change things the change happens in consciousness just like somebody can take a street drug every day it's not going to fix the problem um but one could take a street drug every day and then in in the background be working to fix the problem and then eventually the problem is fixed and then maybe at some point one realizes they don't need the street drug anymore. So, I don't know if that'll happen with me, but it's interesting timing in that I'm being given the boot from the mental health system to my GP. And, yeah, it feels different. It felt all of a sudden like I just wanted to go and love everybody. And... I wasn't afraid anymore of, of people and also not being afraid of who others are like I don't know I guess that is a sign that the sense of otherness is still there and then now it feels like if there are others it's not really a problem because the power of love is can meet anything it doesn't have to fear a particular thing. So, I don't know, there could still be a fall easily, but we'll see. But it feels like it feels like I'm in my body. It feels like it doesn't feel like I'm localized in the head. It feels like I can feel my heart at the same time as I can feel my feet on the ground. Like I can feel my my whole body at the same time. And maybe the exercise yesterday helped. I don't know. And it feels like I could just practice moving gracefully because I can move. I can move myself. Because I'm not, I don't feel trapped. I did take a thousand milligrams of tyrosine today because I had something to write. And my breathing feels really calm. And calm breathing is coming back. Interestingly enough, since the night or the day that I had the bit of a crisis, since then, calm breathing has been coming back. It's not four minutes a day. It's more like 15 to 50 minutes a day. I have been doing the Peter Smith relaxation audio the last three nights. And I'm not going to try and say, oh, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do it whenever I think of it, and I'm not even going to see or think, did I do it a hundred days in a row like I'm supposed to? Because then 
I will stop at some point and then I just stop. Whereas if I don't think in terms of accumulation, I'll just keep doing it whenever I do. Because there is something to the relaxation response. Like I feel a lot more relaxed now and I felt that response when I started doing that audio again. And maybe we can only heal when we're in the relaxation response. The autonomic nervous system. I really don't know. It's just I'm trying to take note of this interesting phenomenon that's happening. And it's happened by being with the pain and not resisting it and getting to the point where one doesn't even call it pain anymore. It's just something happening in awareness. In the field of consciousness. And one is starting to identify more with the field of awareness than with the personal self and the personal body. And it's interesting because now in the field of awareness, the awareness is more aware of the body. Whereas before, it was more stuck in mind-made-up stories. And... I realize the pain's not personal, but yeah, feeling my own heartbeat. I haven't felt that for a long time. That circular movement, it started when I was in California. I was in a really powerful space, like the environment was really powerful, and maybe I picked up on a healing vibe that stirs stuff up but also heals. I remember when I had a crisis last year in October I could feel the vibe like in the lower area like in my like right in my base chakra area and I could also feel it at some point in my like uh, sacral chakra like in the gut area. I haven't really felt it in the stomach but I felt it in the heart not really in the throat, but I felt it in, now I feel it in the third eye. Maybe it needs to get to the top of the head, I don't know. I don't know if that's what they mean by kundalini or whatever, but I don't know what that is. But there's some kind of energy field that moves in a circle. And, um, yeah, I've made a lot of notes lately and... I've had a lot of insights, but I can't really stand here in the middle of the forest and talk about them. Kind of need some kind of studious space. But yeah, I think reading those two chapters of Dr. David Hawkins' Healing and Recovery, and also his autobiography bit just at the end of the book, was really helpful because. It's how one approaches what's going on in consciousness and awareness. If one approaches it with fear, that results in certain things. Or one can approach it with neutrality. One can approach it with unconditional love. And then one not only approaches one's small self with that, which then transforms the self, one approaches life with that energy. So it's a really, I think it's really helpful to read that. 
There are some really helpful things to read and learn and study and revisit later on in the process because I did a lot of studying before this all started years ago which has helped me but I didn't really restudy it and then I think restudying it a little bit has helped and yeah, the air smells really fresh. There's a sense that there's nothing to do in a good way. Landing on my nose. That's fine, I'm neutral. Last night I slept pretty well and I took three quarters trazodone, two quetiapine, Benadryl, and a half, and I didn't have to take the Zoplicone. And I'm glad about that because sleeping pills can be um, habit forming. So the less I can take them, the better. But they are good to take when I need to sleep and I can't. Because sleep is that which is going to keep me grounded in this supposedly physical reality. I'm really wondering how physical it is. It really appears to be physical, but When I woke up this morning, I was just laying there and I was sort of scrunched in a bit of a fetal position with my legs twisted up and I was just enjoying the sensation of having legs and breathing and my body felt really relaxed and good and I don't remember having any dreams last night. I don't know what trail I'm on. I guess it's the same trail, but it looks different. I know that I've recognized that, but anyway, um, so yeah, just I felt really good in my body, and I haven't had any of that pain yet again today, so maybe it's gone for now. I'm not saying that it's going to be gone forever. That would be a mistake to think that things can be changeless. But it's good timing because I think I'm going back home tomorrow. And I feel like a lot of that anger and hate that I was feeling in my body, I feel like it's gone. And I hope nothing happens to provoke it to come out but I guess if it does then I'll see that it's not totally gone and maybe if it does come out I don't even need to call it anger 
Maybe I don't need to label it anything and and then feel bad. If it comes out of emptiness, that's what happens. And being neutral about it could be that which helps to end it. And that was part of the practice I did in order to be with a lot of that physical pain I was feeling. Well, it was supposedly physical pain. And then it sort of changed in its nature and quality and I, I realized that it could be that physical pain that was sort of giving me a sensation of my body because maybe I was really detached from my body. So that physical pain could be consciousness coming back into the body and it could even be the energy which helps to build more and new neural pathways in order to be able to contain all that energy. It could be painful to have access to all this energy coming at us when the body literally isn't designed to contain all that. So I'm wondering if part of this is the body changing in order to be able to embody consciousness and awareness and emptiness. Because when the body embodies the self, the body is used very partially. It's like it's being controlled by the strings of thought. And it's not really under direct biological control of what is necessary in this moment. It's sort of being dragged along by the strings of the past. Oh. I've written a lot down since I've been here and I don't know if I shall write about it or talk about it or what. I wrote down the power of space, of empty space, because it's full of energy. So we're sort of fixated on the forms of life, but we don't appreciate the power of the empty space. And I think that's part of what I've realized in the last day, is that I feel less identified with the body and more as the empty space. And if I see myself in that way, and I see myself from that empty space, then a lot of these weird experiences I've had make a lot more sense. So yeah, and I'm wondering if being labeled and pathologized with a mental illness can be 
a path to awakening and I wouldn't be the first person to say that but I think the difference might be in seeing that the system is a temporary measure it's not something that we necessarily we don't need to fight it because what I'm seeing from what I've experienced in the last two years of going through three crisis events without the hospital is that I don't go to the hospital if I'm able to handle it myself and it's really unpleasant for sure but that unpleasantness doesn't transform into manifesting as a whole mental health system rallying around me to try and help me through it and and we won't necessarily stop going to the mental health system until we realize the truth of who we are which is emptiness I don't know if that's absolutely true but I listened to a talk by Rupert Spira last night and I'm not a Rupert Spira person but I did listen to a few of his few of his talks while I was here and I think even though I didn't really fully get it because I'm not familiar with his teachings and the languaging I think it helped in that zooming out and being not identified, but understanding that, understanding that one is awareness, which is emptiness. So when one zooms out and sees that one is emptiness and awareness, one can be aware of what's going on in awareness without being attached to it. And as more energy is pulled into the emptiness of awareness, the energy of what's going on in the body supposedly which he explains can only be experienced through the mind so then in that way we don't even know what's happening to the body so I felt like it was in pain but when I was able to zoom out when you zoom out and you're in the perspective of emptiness everything dissolves into that emptiness because it's not being fueled by identification by wanting it to not be. So being in the emptiness one is sort of neutral. So approaching that experience from, and that's where Dr. David Hawkins work comes in, approaching that experience in the body, in the mind, in consciousness, in awareness, those are the layers that Rupert Spire talks about, from neutrality, that is a higher level as the emptiness of neutrality that's a higher level of consciousness than approaching it as fear so if I feel like my body's in pain and I'm afraid of it that's a lower energy state than if I'm neutral and then there's higher energy states like you know love and things like that so if one can be with it with love one can actually transmute more of what is apparently being experienced in the body 
into nothingness, into the empty space. It goes into the empty space as opposed to going into feeling, fueling fear of the experience. So if I'm neutral about it, I'll probably lay there and wait it out for quite a long period of time. But if I'm afraid of it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to run around doing all sorts of things to try to escape it. I'm going to call the ambulance, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If one needs to do that, do it a hundred percent. But getting to a place where we can transmute that is pretty powerful. And I'm not saying I'm done transmuting. I think I still have a lot more bodily pain to go through, especially because I've been on medications for so many years. So I think there's a lot more to transmute, but I don't know, I don't think now is the time. I think when my body has more housing, proper housing, um, after I get back from California, then that might be a time to work to be off the medications and transmute all of that accumulated pain or whatever it is, energy, into consciousness, into emptiness. I think that sensation is there partly to awaken the body. But when we're afraid of it, we awaken the mental health system. We give our power to the mental health system when we have the power in consciousness. And that's something that was interesting. These couple chapters in Dr. David Hawkins' book, I, I should share that. Um, I think I'm going to start blogging more. Because I don't think I can write a book. And I really just want people to suffer less. I don't really care about money or whatever. So, yeah, I think sharing this process could be helpful but I guess I feel a little bit wary because I'm not fully through the process but and I really don't know that's the thing when one is in this kind of space of emptiness and not knowing and not having thought one feels very hesitant and unsure that's sort of one's approach to life one's not approaching it from a perspective of knowing how to do everything I know this and I know that and these are my opinions. One doesn't really have any opinions, so... I think one of the troubles is that we're looking for cause and blame. And the, wor the world is really... there's no cause to it. And so when we start looking for causes, and then if we think we know the cause, then we think we know the solution. So to be with it without causality is huge. To just be with the sensation without thinking this is the cause. You know, if I think, oh, the, my mental illness is the cause, then I start to seek out help from the mental health system. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I think it's a temporary measure. But I think we can start to learn to graduate from that. And instead of thinking they did me wrong, um, they caused 
whatever, then um, we could, that's, I don't know. I think the more of us that learn how to deal with this, then we can say, hey, there's another way and just do that other way and then the other thing sort of dies out but it's there for the people who need it because there are a lot of people that feel they're helped by it and perhaps they are and I think that I was helped by it even though there was a lot of suffering I'm still being helped by it because there's the meds you know I'm very thankful that I can take something to knock me out and sleep because otherwise, I go into a different world, and my body no longer exists in this one that is considered to be linear, even though it's not. So, you know, basically a lot of this stems from a mistaken identity. We don't know who we are, and we also think things are Newtonian. And when we start to see things happening in a way that isn't Newtonian, we get really scared. And we scare people around us because they don't want to see it. Because it's something that you can't believe in. And the Newtonian way is based on belief. And so what happens is actually impossible. Because it's not Newtonian. So it doesn't... It's not possible. So anyway... I'm going to go now. for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.